0: Everybody, welcome back to the hit factor. I think we're gonna be talking about 1911s today. So obviously, Boomer. we have we have Boomer, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Reed to talk about God's gun. And we have Jason and Jared.
1: Jeff, introduce yourself. And I'm Jeff. Jeff Exotic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, y'all, okay. you people in Oklahoma, with me. Let's talk about okay. Let's talk. We're going about through something. a storm.
1: We're going through a storm right now. Of uh, I mean, it's it's the most important. It's the most um, prominent thing in the news right now. No, not the coronavirus. The Tiger King. Tiger King.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's Jeff's Jeff's uncle, guys. <laughs> There's Jeff, actually no
0: relation, but that place Jeff is like 40 minutes from where I live.
2: Jeff is known as the Tiger Prince. All
1: right. I'm just gonna read these out, um, <laughs> and I don't know. Do we want to do a rapid fire, or do you want if you? I tell you what, let's do rapid fire. But if you feel the need, Jeremy, to and maybe it may turn into more in depth on each one. So we'll just okay. we'll just see where it where it goes. Okay. First one. Dropping
3: the slide on an empty chamber. About hey, so I, got, I got an idea. How about how about we get the panel's idea on it, and I tell them if they're right or wrong.
1: Oh, I like that. Yes, I like that. Okay,
3: so dropping the slide, dropping the slide on an empty chamber. Jared, what do you think? I
1: don't think it matters. Jeff, what do you think?
0: I think it doesn't matter if the gun is fit properly.
1: Uh,
3: I think it. Oh yeah, I think, you're part of the panel too. Yeah,
1: thank you, thank you. Um, I think it will get you slapped in the boomer community. <laughs> um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I've heard all these things, and um, I'm gonna say it's not good.
3: Okay, so we got we got two that it's it's completely ambivalent, and then one that says it's not good. Uh, yeah honestly it's kind of yes and no um when the when the slide strips a round off out of the magazine it's actually feeding it that does slow the slide speed down quite a bit uh and the thing that stops the slide going forward are the the lower lugs on the barrel uh the stop up against the slide stop and so if you have no round in it then it's it's going to impact that a lot harder uh it's going to impact the lower lugs quite a bit harder um is it going to cause lasting damage? Um, I wouldn't sit there and just drop a dry slide like just over and over and over and over again. Like that's going to cause accelerated wear versus shooting it. Um, at the same time, like I do proof triggers by dropping the slide on an empty, on an empty chamber because that's going to hit the slide harder and that's that's going to if it's anything's going to jar a hammer loose, it's going to jar loose like that. Um, so. A small amount of it, you're not going to do anything Uh, doing it all over, like over and over and over. uh, Yeah, I wouldn't do that either.
1: Okay. Jeff, were you, what you were saying was if it's fit properly, it it shouldn't hurt it now. Was that because of, I was actually thinking the slide stop, what Jeremy said, but were you thinking uh, because of the, the hammer and sear fit, if those are fit because I've heard a lot of people say if you hold the trigger while you drop the slide on the empty chamber, it keeps the hammer hooks from slamming against the the sear, keeps those engagement surfaces off of each other.
0: No, I just figured that wasn't why. Was, I just okay. figured if it was fit properly, it wouldn't it wasn't pulling on one part in particularly more than others, because they they either break the pin or the link, right?
3: Uh, the link shouldn't. The link shouldn't have any problems with it. Like, it really shouldn't hurt the link. It's really just battering the lower lugs that's going gotcha. to cause issues.
0: So, it'll, yeah. like, either break a lug off or it'll snap the pin in half?
3: Uh, I mean, it would be a pretty poor slide stop to snap a slide stop. I would be real surprised to see that. on a Like, on a ramped barrel, you're really probably not going to see anything because the lugs are so much thicker on a ramped barrel on the lower lugs. Yeah. Um, on a, on a traditional non-ramped barrel, you know, those lower lugs are, well, if you, if you look at a, a less bear, they're anywhere down to like seventy five thou thick. I definitely would not be dropping a slide in, on an empty chamber on a less bear, especially a less bear fit barrel, because their lugs are super thin, um, just cause they overcut them. Um, but typically you're looking at a hundred to one hundred and ten um, on those lower lugs. So there's not, I mean, it's, it's quite a bit that we're talking just for people that aren't in the that's just less than an eighth of an inch um so it's you know there's there's not a ton of metal there uh and so yeah if you get a lot of battering you just don't you don't necessarily want it again just don't make a habit of it is is what i would recommend people if somebody took one of my guns and did it i wouldn't like say anything like when i get mad and i finish the stage and it's terrible like i just rack the slide really hard which is the same thing uh, whenever I rack a, a round out and just let it let it go, and just because I'm mad, um, I don't think I've caused any accelerated wear at that point. But I just wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't just sit there in my living room as I'm watching TV and just rack it, rack it up real hard just to, for the heck of it. So it's okay. a lot. There's so so in the end, there's a lot that's made of it that's kind of just nonsense. Um, but there is there is a
2: little bit uh,
3: a little bit of of truth to it
2: so when i i've heard about that uh it's always been in reference to damaging the trigger job it's what everyone always says when they say don't do it uh okay (laughs) i mean
3: like again it's probably kind of the same thing like but that's I don't personally see it as, as really doing too much to a, a triggered job that's that's done right. And if you've got one that's right on the edge, like like where it's barely holding on, then yeah, maybe it'll it'll roll those hooks a little bit quicker, but I don't I don't see that as a huge issue personally.
1: Okay. Um the second one's kind of the same thing, but on a different part of the gun. So uh, you unload and show clear for some reason. And then you want to load again, instead of barning up, you are, you want to do eight, you know, eight plus one, you drop around in the chamber and then drop the slide on that. And then you would put your full magazine
3: in in the gun. That's, that's, that's why you would do that. Okay. So you're talking about putting a drop, open the slide, dropping around the chamber and then dropping the slide over that round. Um, I would not do that as a matter of practice, um, especially with a, with a traditional extractor. You're forcing that extractor to flex right. way further than it normally flexes for a, a round of feet up under it. Uh, so you're going to cause a lot of undue stress on that extractor. Um, so I would not do that as a matter of course. Now, if you're, if you're doing as part of a malfunction clearance, like you've got a round that somehow got stuck or you got some sort of double feed, and the only way to get it out is you rip that, rip the magazine out, and you drop the slide over it to get it over it. Um, yeah, I've I've done that, uh, and you know if that's if that's something that happens very very rarely, then probably won't cause, probably won't really cause that much damage. But I would not do that as a matter of practice, not if you want your extractor to last as long as it can. So you could you explain during the
1: uh, feeding process how the round comes out of the magazine and gets underneath the extractor. I mean, I kind of just said it, but just so if anyone's listening, they're not sure it, it, it comes out, goes in and it comes up underneath the extractor. The extractor doesn't have to flex over the rim of the case.
3: Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, typically what you, how you want a 1911 to feed um, is the the slides coming back and it hits the very top of the round and that round starts feeding into the chamber. Um, And as it's feeding the chamber, then the, the case of the, of the shell, Is feeding up the breech face, uh, so it slides up underneath, and so you've got just a small amount of deflection from the extractor for it to just slide underneath the hook. It's not sliding around or over the hook, if that makes sense. Gotcha. All
1: right. So the next one, uh, how important is the, um, I'm going to call this the bow tie, the viz, the vertical impact surface, um, how important is that area? to be trued up, relieved. I don't know what the right way to say it is on the frame.
3: Uh, so that's, that's a pretty important cut. Uh, any sort of, any of my guns that are going go through, and obviously again, you don't see these on ramp barrels. We're talking about standard barrels, um, non ramped barrels that you're going to see this in. Um, the reason why the Viz is important is because if it's not there, like it's not on a lot of Springfields. Like if you got, if you own a Springfield, go open it up. And you'll probably look and see, and there's probably will not be uh, this bow tie cut that we're talking about. Um, the, the problem with that is when you don't have it there, the first thing that hits is the bottom of the lower lugs. So it's the thinnest part of the barrel. Um, and so then you've got that, which is getting hit, that's hitting the slide stop. And then it's hitting, it's getting hit in the back uh, on the ramp. And if that's all, if that's the only place where it's low, where it's hitting at, then it's gonna eventually break those lugs. The the lower lugs are gonna are gonna shear off. So the, the bow tie cut is a is a relief to allow the the lower lugs, of the ramp, whenever they impact the frame coming backwards, they hit it closest to the chamber, um, where the where the it's the medius and the beefiest, and that's where it's the strongest.
1: So you you basically take a bit, or I don't know how to say this, but you get a mill and you go in there and you re- make a circular cut. It's a smaller diameter, and it essentially relieves some of that material underneath or at that area where the, on the frame where the lower lugs, the lowest part of the lugs hit. And there's material left up higher, and it looks like right. a bow tie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. How cool? I don't know how to phrase this one, but the disco cut. Do you do it? Do you think anything bad about it? Is it cool? Does it matter? I felt guns, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, the disco cut uh, that I'm referring to is I guess it's called the center rail on the slide, Jerry?
3: Uh, Yeah, they call it the stripping rail probably is what most people would refer to it as.
1: So what they do is they mill out at the breech face bottom edge um, a cut where the disconnector can, and and they ramp it to where the disconnector rides in it and it's more of a smooth push down versus the the hump when you and you only notice this I think I'm kind of answering my my theory on the question when you rack the slide and then you manually lower it you'll feel the front edge of that um, stripping uh, rail or uh, whatever you'll feel it hit the disconnector and it kind of it has to push it down where this disco connect uh, disco cut makes it real smooth I don't know if I said that very well but uh, I don't know if you guys have ever felt one but it feels good when you're hand racking the slide, but I don't know that I could ever feel the difference between two guns when shooting. And I don't know that it's something that, uh, there's a manufacturer out there that seems to do it now and it's cool and everything, but they charge you for it, but I don't know that it's worthwhile. And I would always be worried that it creates weak points, um, on that, that rail where the two peak, because when you, when you make this cut, you now have two edges that are thinner or smaller or whatever. and, it seems like, of course, I guess you're just hitting that brass case. I guess that's never going to damage that. So I've talked enough. What do you think, Jeremy? What do you, what do you think, Jeff?
0: Dude, what's the question? Does it matter or the is This Disconnector it
3: better? cut, the Marvel disconnector cut. Is it worthwhile or no? Uh, no. Jared? Jared's right, not are. paying attention. Jared's texting on his phone. He's not even paying attention. Yeah. Like it's not a CZ seventy five. I don't care about that.
2: Exactly. No. Jared right there. I do not think the the cut matters. And, but I, I haven't actually felt a gun I know has it.
3: Okay, I'll give my take on it. Uh there's there's lots of Smiths that do it, so hopefully they don't they're not offended by my position uh i think that's completely bogus um one yeah you're right like you're you're removing the part of the rail that the meatiest part of the rail that hits the round and strips it uh into the to get it to feed into the chamber and so you're either some people just relieve it all the way across the disconnector so they're making it where it hits way higher up on the casing uh, which is going to cause the casing to dive further down um At least in theory, I haven't done it on a gun, so but but in theory, it's it's going to. Uh, But then you're also or you're leaving two little ears, um, which yeah, which I wouldn't want to leave those. So I want to leave as much material there to to be able to to strip the next round. Um, The other thing is, anybody that's got a 1911, go go pull it out, thumb the hammer back, and pull it, and hold the trigger back because I promise you, you will when you're shooting the gun, you will still be holding the trigger back whenever the slide comes forward and guess what when that slide comes forward the disconnector is being held down so this marvel cut that that they're talking about like it it doesn't actually do when the gun's actually feeding it doesn't do anything the disconnector is not even up it's not even riding up in the slide yeah if you're just looking at the gun and you're like you you haven't pulled the trigger and you just pull it back the disconnector pops up and so yeah it looks like it's oh yeah this is making it way smoother but no, that's not how the gun cycles. Dry a fire it, Hold it. Pin the trigger back like it would be when you're actually shooting the gun. Then rack the slide back and look and see where the disconnectors at. It's it's being held down by your by your trigger finger. Um, so I don't uh, I don't subscribe to that as being something that. that adds adds any benefit to the gun.
1: I didn't even realize, think about it that way. That's, that's, you're right. Cause when you're pulling that trigger, is the trick, the back of that trigger bow still going to hold the disc- connector down?
3: Yeah. The disconnector does not reset or go back into the disconnector cut until you, you let off on yeah. the trigger. And I can, wow. I, I can almost guarantee you that you are not letting off that trigger before the slide has come back forward. Wow.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, this one, I'm, I'm really curious to see what you got to say about it. Uh, bull versus bushing. Jared?
2: What's the well, question? I, Just like, which one's better? or Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, obviously, a bull barrel is going to put more weight in the front of the gun. So, depending on the use, that might or might not be an advantage. It's also going to change the way it recoils because it's more weight when it's unlocking. And then I think it has a higher potential for accuracy because it's fit directly to the slide, so there's no bushing to be fit in the middle.
3: So then why does the uh, the shadow orange go with the bushing, a removable bushing?
2: Because a regular shadow has a bushing, and it's a tighter-fit bushing. The orange is bushing. is tighter-fit. It's fit like a 1911 bushing. Jeff,
3: okay. what do you think?
1: Bushing.
2: A Any
0: reasons bushing. why? Because
2: um, John Browning designed it that way.
0: Yeah, because yeah, JMB.
3: Jason, you said bushing as well. Yeah, I think
1: you can uh, do a better fit to a bushing. I think, and I know nothing about it, but I think it's harder and more more likely that they'd screw
3: up the slide to barrel fit on a bull barrel uh so in in a full disclosure i've never fit a bull barrel um i don't i don't mess with bull barrels i have i don't have any use for them um my guns are the guns i'm typically building are carry guns um so a bull barrel has no place in a carry gun as far as i'm concerned it adds nothing but but weight um if you're talking about strict accuracy of just a barrel then a bull barrel may be more accurate just because it's going to be more rigid it's going to be stiffer because there's more there's more steel there. Um, so maybe there's some accuracy benefit, just if you took the barrel and put it in a, a barrel tester, which I don't, I don't own one, I haven't done that. Um, the thing that you can do with the bushing that you can't do with a bull barrel is that if the bushing gets loose over time, go back and fit a new bushing, no big deal. As the, as the barrel wears, as the bushing wears, um, you can go back and you can refit that and lock that up. Um, if you fit a bull barrel to a slide, um once you get wear and you will get wear uh, there's no way around that it will wear um once you once it gets loose you're kind of you're kind of done like there's there's no tightening that back up um most most guys shooting limited where bull barrels are an option um most guys shoot bull barrel guns um so we'll, I think that's more just a weight, getting weight on the front of the gun, basically non reciprocating weight. The barrel moves a little bit, but not that much. Um, so I, I think that's why they do that. Um, if that wasn't the case, I think most people would probably shoot bushing barrels.
2: Cool.
1: Um, all right. GI versus full length guide rod.
0: Full length, all the way.
1: So so not, not GI because J&B designed it that way?
0: No. <laughs> no. In this case, we're we're going down the other road.
1: Two-piece full length or? No. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to jump in and I would say I like full length as well as long as it's not two-piece. Okay. So in
2: a, in a 1911, I like a short guide rod, just a standard one because I don't think it matters much. But in like a limited gun or something, I always had full length ones in there. Probably because they were bull barreled guns though. So, uh,
3: I mean, this is mostly a preference issue. Uh, I mean, again, it puts it puts non reciprocating weight out on the front of the gun, so it does it does limit recoil a little bit. Um, so. Yeah, for a game gun, then I think a full-length guide rod makes sense. Uh, As far as, a lot of people will talk about it like they want it because it holds the spring straight, uh, and I think that makes a a big difference. There is no difference from, as far as I'm concerned, there's no difference from that standpoint as far as durability of a spring or or how long a spring lasts or anything like that, Um, how the gun cycles, reliability, nothing. You can go either way. Um, I will say that the downside to, unless you're using a Dawson toolist which is actually what I use in most of my guns is uh, if you're using a full length guide rod, you've got to have some sort of tool to take the gun apart. Um, whereas a normal, just standard uh, recoil plug um, you don't, you can, you can take that. You can disassemble the gun with, without any tools. Um, and again, I'm building mostly carry guns. So I, I, I want the, I don't want the weight in it, so I'm building most of my guns with with a standard recoil plug. Um but that's my game guns all have full-length guide rods. So that that whatever that means.
1: Okay. Uh this next one I think is gonna be um I'm gonna read it, but I think this one doesn't need to have much time on it. Uh ramp barrel versus uh ramp barrel versus frame. Uh let me see if I get that right.
3: It's a standard yeah, barrel versus yeah. a, a ramp versus a non-ramp barrel.
1: Which you um, only do the ramp. You do For standard, you do 45, you do standard. Everything else you do ramped, correct?
3: Yes, basically. Um, you, you, the thirty-eight Super actually feeds really well with a non-ramp barrel. Um, I had a limited gun that I had a non-ramp barrel in, and I am able to make it run. Fun. The thing with the ramp barrel is you typically end up with a little bit more support um case support i mean um by going with a ramp barrel um the, the problem with a ramp barrel and a 45 is you need the ramp to be lower than the ramp will go than a ramp barrel will go and so that's that's not it's not advantageous in a 45 and the other calibers sure fit a ramp barrel cool
1: what off the top of your head do you know the distance on a, on a 45 uh non-ramp barrel um, there's a, where the barrel stops and that, uh, there's a little ledge before it starts the ramp in the frame. That's like a sixteenth of an inch or an eighth of an inch. I don't know what the dimension is. Right. But it's, a, it's, it's, an actual breakover point, right? Like a, almost a right angle, not really a right angle, but.
3: Yeah. So there's a, so you've got, there's a ramp that's in the frame. Um, that's normally around 400 thou deep, um, from the top of the rails. Uh, is where that's normally at spec is 360 but that was that was for ball ammo um so with today's hollow points and stuff we want to i usually want to see it around 400 um, sometimes it, you can only get to 390 which is usually fine but 400 is usually pretty doable um and then you've got the ramp that's actually on the barrel uh and a lot of people would think well you want that ramp to go all the way to and just be completely flush with the ramp that's in the frame um that's not the case. There's uh, about 30 thou gap that you want to have between the top of the ramp and the frame and the start of the, the ramp in the, in the barrel, because you want that, that bullet actually usually impacts twice. It hits the ramp in the frame and then it jumps over that jump and it hits the ramp in the barrel and then it feeds into it. Um, It's pretty typical of how a 45 is going to feed. Uh, And so you need that jump to be there. I
1: heard, I don't know if this is true, but I'm, I wouldn't, doubt it there's enough people out there but somebody saw that that piece that you're talking about and they thought that they'd take a file to it and smooth it out
3: (laughs) oh yeah that's oh that's been done lots of times um (laughs) and if you you do that you will ruin the frame Um, okay so yeah there's there's lots of who have done it there's lots of smiths that have built guns without that that proper ramp there but go back and look at the print uh if you're building a 45 just build it basically by the print if you want it to run if you want to guarantee that it will run um, and it will, it will run if, if you put that there, if you try to make it smooth, it won't. And the reason why you, you need it, you don't want it smooth. Um, that barrel's not always necessarily sitting all the way on its barrel bed by the time a, a bullet hits it. Sometimes it's up above it. And so if you have it flush, well, then you end up having a knife edge at the bottom that a bullet can get hung up on or something like that. And so you need a little bit of room there so it can jump up into it. Cool.
1: Okay, uh, next question. Stroked thoughts.
3: Um, I, I don't know why you do want to do it to a gun. Um, I. Some people just gotta have it. Uh, I, I don't. In all honesty, I don't get real into the, the recoil mitigation, um, type stuff like trying to run like a, you know, limited gun with a nine pound or 10 pound recoil spring and and stroking it and and doing all that to try to get the gun to shoot soft um just just shoot the gun uh get a gun that works get a gun that runs um if you if you got to stroke it to be able to shoot the gun then i would i would kind of question your uh your shooting abilities at that point um i will say that the one benefit of if you stroke a gun, um, if you want to run a shock buff, uh, which I've, I'm not a huge proponent of, but I will use them in my practice guns just to, they will cushion the, the recoil on the gun that hopefully let the gun last longer. Um, so if you stroke the gun, then there's, then the gun will still lock back and the slide lock will all work as normal um, because then you would create room for that shock buff to sit there but that's uh i put a, i will use a shock buff in practice but i never run a shock buff in a match it's just for me it's just a just cushion the the slide the barrel battery I mean, when we're putting when you're putting a hundred thousand rounds on a gun anything you can do to make it last a little bit longer uh, is a good thing
1: do you use the plastic shock, buff, shock buffs or do you use the
3: aluminum ones uh i use the plastic one i think the ones i use are made by uh i think that cp i think is the name of them they're kind of gray uh they seem to be a little bit more durable than like the wilson or the egw or i think ed brown has a shock but if i tried all those and they they weren't real durable for me um but this uh the cp one was a little bit uh, more durable for me
2: okay all right With now that... go ahead how about the uh reverse of that I've uh, I know people that short stroke their guns, so they put like two shock buffs on their limited gun, or th- even three, so that the stroke's even shorter. What's your uh, thoughts on that?
3: I mean, you're you're kind of looking to induce a bit of feeding issues, um, just because your slide by short stroking it, it's gonna have less time to build momentum to strip that round, um, and so it's not gonna have near as much momentum or energy to feed around. So. Everything else better be perfect on that gun uh, if you want it to feed. Again, just learn how to hold on to the gun and learn how to manage the recoil is kind of my opinion. Um, that uh, people, people look for magic sauce, and they, they don't realize that, no, the good shooters are just good shooters. Uh, they're going to be good with whatever. Um, I don't know too many of the top shooters, who don't shoot a fairly normal gun, like they're not usually shooting something crazy. Uh, it's usually fairly, fairly straightforward.
1: And that's in all divisions for almost all type guns, if you've noticed that, right? Yep. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and I the mean, builders... it's like this new 59, 59 ounce rule in production. Like <laughs> everybody's gonna be like, now people are like, oh, I can take my, uh, I can take my legion. And add more weight to it, <laughs> uh, or like, or my shadow too. And now, it's, now CZ Custom has some
2: sort of like crazy heavy
3: uh their, their, come up with.
2: It's it's their A.O.Y. They had like brass grips on it or something. It was like fifty six ounces or something that's stupid.
3: Yeah. So there's people that you're like, oh man, that's so soft. That's so great. And it, they like they think it's going to be this magic sauce. And the truth is, is it's not going to make any difference.
1: And, and like you're saying, the builder there's builders out there that will accommodate for any. They'll they'll create solutions to no problem, and then oh absolutely, tell you to, and then tell you that there's a problem when there's not one.
3: I, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, yeah, like there's if you have a little bit lighter slide versus a heavier slide, is it gonna? Is there less mass and energy there in the slide? Yes. Um, do I think that's like the only why, Like I've got my. My 40 cows, they're tri-topped. Um, I had to do it to make weight, uh, so I could get under the 43 ounces um, for single stack because I have a heavier, I have a heavier frame. Um, and it, and having, I mean, having mass in the gun does soften recoil. So like, I'm not totally opposed to that, but like the need to push it to the absolute limits, like I've got to have a 59 ounce production gun to shoot minor ammo. I mean, that's probably not. Probably not going to be what makes you a national champion, most likely.
1: Okay. Um, weakest point on a factory gun? Our most thing you see you, most the biggest error. No, this is two questions. What is the yeah? What's the weakest point and the, the thing you see the most error wise on factory guns?
2: Jared. What do you think? What do I think is probably the biggest error on a factory gun? I'd bet most of the time the barrel's probably not fit properly. It's probably fit good enough, but not properly. And what was your other question? Weakest point? Yeah. A lot of cheaper 1911s always seem to have garbage extractors in them. Jeff?
0: What's the question? (laughs) What what is what's the, <laughs> the most... weakest
1: point weakest point on a factory gun? What's the what's the most yeah the weakest point on a factory gun and uh, most common error you see that can be the same thing weakest
0: point, uh, MIM parts, boom, and MIM slide stops right biggest problem area
1: holes in the wrong spot okay. So I want to ask, I want to ask a question real quick. Have any of y'all ever? And Jeremy's probably going to be the only one. Have any of y'all ever seen a MEM part break? Yes. No. Okay. I've never seen one, but I don't. I shoot mean, a not lie. on
0: any of my stuff. I've seen pictures yeah. of them broken. Right.
1: Okay. So I would say the slide stop probably is a. It, those MEM ones are probably a problem. Um, but and then I would also say the holes not being true, uh, and then over and because of that they have to overfit. From what I've heard they have to overfit the hammer and, and the trigger job. And because stuff's not probably true. And I would think that would cause a lot of
3: problems. Uh, like in all honesty, like there's not like a one answer. Like there were so many people that make 1911s. It's like, Oh, what's the one part that all the companies do terrible at? Um, the a lot of them do terrible at a lot of things. Uh, just, just to be honest, uh, like, like there's few that do a really good job. Uh, they, that's, that's true. Um, it for a long time, it was, I'm just going to speak about government model 45s because we start going into other stuff and things get even crazier, but we'll talk about government model 45s. That's where most of my work is at anyway. Um, for a long time, it was virtually impossible to find one that the, uh, the feed ramp was cut deep enough into the proper specs. Um, They were usually really shallow uh, and they were, they were not in the right, right spot. Um, But wasn't polished. uh, They were usually not polished either. (laughs) Uh, They were usually extremely rough. Um, I don't get real hung up on, I mean, any of mine are going to be polished, uh, but I think correct angle and correct depth is the most important thing uh, on a feed ramp. Um, Polishing can help. But it's not a huge thing, so that that's something that you see very often. Uh, The other thing that you see is improperly fed extractors. Like go anybody that's got a factory 911, go to the back of it and take your take a a punch or something and push on the edges of the extractor and watch it clock around. And that's that's big time problematic because depending on which way it clocks, it's either gonna it'll feed really well, but it will barely hold on to the round. Or if it clocks the other way, it'll really str- it will make it much harder for it to feed. Um, and so that's really a, a firing pin stop, uh, an extractor interface uh, that's, that's not done correctly. And it's that's a part that just needs to be fit almost on an individual basis, uh, just because companies' slides are not consistent enough. Um, and so that's yeah, that's a that's a big problem that you see in almost every gun. And you could go and you could talk about the crappy trigger jobs and the crappy barrel fits and the crappy sights and all that stuff that comes on that that need to get fixed in a lot of lot of instances. But those are a couple things. Cool.
1: Okay, this is one of Jared's questions. Uh, what's the hardest part to fit correctly?
3: Uh... I mean, partly, me says barrel fit, um, just because there's there's so many there's so many different things to fit on the barrel from the the lower lugs to the upper lugs to the 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 bushing or the barrel interface the muzzle end of it, the the crowning the barrel to the feed ramp, the chamber, um, the hood fit. Like, there's just so many different parts of the barrel that get fit. Um, that, that there's a lot of time that gets spent on that. Um, to get done correctly so I, I would probably say say getting the barrel fit and the ramp and all that um, doing that correctly is is probably the the hardest part uh, or the, the at least the most time consuming as far as when you're talking about three parts basically uh it takes takes a lot of work okay at least to, i should say to do it the way i do it um, trying to get a zero tolerance fit in almost every every one of those locations.
1: I didn't realize that when you, now that you I mean, of course, once you say all that, you're like, yeah, all those parts have to be fit. Mm-hmm. So that's, cause I was actually thinking about buying a barrel and be like, I'm going to try my hand, at fitting a barrel to a gun. <laughs> I'm maybe rethinking that. <laughs> cause I don't know I anything mean, about you can,
3: it. You could do it and it, you could probably make it fit and it'll go in the gun and the, you could probably make it run. Um, but will it, When you're trying to make it when you're trying to make it the gun be as accurate as possible and also hundred percent reliable, everything's gotta be right.
0: Do it, Jason.
3: Do it.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: You've got
3: a Dremel tool, I bet.
1: I do. I got a Dremel. Dremel Dremel I even have have a file.
0: What? (laughs) But do you have some do you have some some mothers and and some some buffing pads?
2: I do.
1: That's, that's the only thing you really you. need. That's all you need? All right, so I'm trying to look at some of these questions that were on your page that you, that, uh, you basically said we have in a Q&A on the podcast. What are some common myths, misconceptions, questions you have uh, or have heard about the 1911? So um, I'm going to read the very first one. Uh, if you are looking to get into single stack with a limited budget, what do you consider essential that would cause you to do that would cause you to walk away if it wasn't up to snuff.
3: Uh man, that's that's tough. Um here's here's what I would recommend to somebody like that. Uh there are some there are options out there to get in. Um you can get into a Dan Wesson, um, like a PM9. Uh Jared's smiling, Jared's like giving me the thumbs <laughs> up. Like, yes. Uh you can get like a PM9 for you can probably pick
2: those up for what $1, 12, 1400, Jared. Is that about right? Uh, MSRP is like 1590 or 1600, so probably 13 to 14.
3: Yeah, and so then gun broker used market, you can probably get in like the 1200, $1, dollars range. Um, and that's going to be a pretty solid gun to start with. I, there, as far as I know, there's there's zero mem parts on it, they use really good uh trigger components. Um, you may want to change out the front sight. It, it probably comes with a 60 fiber. Um, so you're probably going right, to change right. the front sight out. But that's, that's universal on literally any gun that's manufactured of any kind. They're all, none of them have the sight that almost anybody wants. Um, so that's a good option. Um, Colt has come out with a competition series, which those are really pretty decent guns um, from the get-go. And they've actually now, originally they were series 80s, which is, is a fine safety system. I just don't want the extra parts in a competition gun, which is getting super dirty and a carry gun is fine, but a gun's going to get shot a ton. I wouldn't want the series eighties parts in it. They have a series 70 with that now. Um, And then the other one, which is a pretty cheap option to get into uh, the Springfield RO. And I would recommend personally, I would recommend the RO operator. Um, That's their rail version. That's what I've built a couple of personal guns on. I built some other guns on them for customers. And that makes a really, a pretty decent gun that you can get into, you can get started with. Um, You can go shoot your local matches and and do fine. Um, They will probably run okay, uh, most likely. And then you can make upgrades to it as you need, as you need to, uh, or feel the need to.
1: Guy goes out and buys Dan Wesson, the Springfield, uh, or the Colt what is the first thing they need to do? Throw those mags, leave those mags in the box and then go buy what mags?
3: Oh, the first thing they got to do is put a magwell on the gun. Um, So they need to go to Techware USA and buy a Techwell magwell and grip set. Um, Nine millimeter mags, uh, the Dawson mags, or actually the Dawson mags are the MetGuard mags. They just just rebrand it and put their own base pad on it. So if you want to get them the same mags for cheaper, but it'll have a plastic base pad, you can buy the Metgar mags from uh, Ben Steger Pro Shop has them. I know I know Tim's got them there and they're cheap. They're like, I think he's selling them for like 25 bucks, which is cheap for a mag. Um, that's, that's, those are in nine millimeter. Um, and so, you, so those, I mean, that's the first thing that you got to do. The Dan Wesson, um, honestly, like I don't know what you're going to do hardly anything else to it uh, and go shoot a match. Um, you'd be you'd be fine to go. Um, the the other two again, you can go shoot. I know guys that are shooting matches with those as factory guns. Um, the trigger is probably going to be the next thing, assuming everything runs. Um, which again, factory guns, maybe maybe not. Um, but assuming everything runs, the the next thing you're going to want to do is a trigger job. Um, this again, this is where the Dan Wesson would probably be the where I would steer people to first because they have the components are already in the gun. Uh, I would, I would do the trigger job on those components. Um, no problem. And that's fine. The Colt actually has, I like Colt, um, hammers and sears. They are MIM. um, and I have done, I've done a ton of trigger jobs on Colt hammers and sears. And I like those parts. So you can do it on those, this Springfield army trigger parts I would not use. Um, get some EGW or something like that Extreme engineering which is what the Dan Wesson uses and and swap that out. That'd probably be the first thing that you're gonna The first parts that you're gonna swap out Outside of that Jared's shaking his
2: head No I I don't think they're extreme um, I'm pretty oh, okay. sure Different company another really good company But I'm not sure I can share the name Is that oh, okay. not what's going in the, the DWX I'm pretty sure it's a different company, but, Okay. Well, you like, know more than all of us. So I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure I can share that information. So he's well, got
3: secret squirrel stuff.
2: Wasn't the
1: uh? Wasn't Tim offering up a Dan Wesson PM nine with like six mags
2: for like a, and a stupid price? Yeah, I yeah. think it was six mags and a magwell for basically the MSRP of the gun. So like fifteen ninety, sixteen hundred, something like that. It's a good deal.
3: Yeah, it was a really good deal. No, Tim and I have talked about trying to go in and, and ordering a bunch of 40s uh, from Dan Weston. We just haven't really been able to make that make that work um, for what we wanted to do. But uh, maybe sometime in the future we'll get that. So if anybody wants uh, some Dan Weston 40s to be available, uh, let us know and we we'll, we might can get something to work. All right. So
1: we're getting close to our 45 minutes here. Let me let me. uh, This is one that uh, Trenton basically said, and this was uh, on your on your page. And it was a myth. I'm assuming that um, the 1911 is not reliable. Is that a myth or is that true? That a misconception?
3: What do you guys think?
2: I think it's true. They are super not reliable. I think they. I think it depends. They can or they they will or they won't be. It depends on how well they're built. It it really comes down to how many people are building nineteen elevens
1: out there. You got guys that are building four hundred dollar nineteen elevens. You got guys out there building four thousand dollar nineteen elevens. So this should be self explanatory. You get one like Jared Jared just said. If you get one that's built with quality parts, (laughs) built what built well to spec, whatever, it's going to probably be more likely to run. The $400 ones
2: are not going to run, in my mind. Just expecting Here, it to choke. Here's my thoughts on it. If it's built right, it's going to run. But to build it right, it needs a lot of hand fitting. Because the gun was designed at a time when manual labor was cheap, machine labor wasn't. So you take a you know a $400 thrown together gun, it might or might not work. I mean, to, to build it right, it's going to cost a lot more than that. Jeff?
0: Yeah, so... I mean, if you just take that question at face value, right? You have to take into that question every 1911 that's being printed out there. And by that standard, I would say no, it's not reliable. Because a lot of them aren't, aren't fit correctly, you know? Um I think if you take it like it's supposed to be built yes it's reliable but if you take that question at face value i would say in general it's probably one of the most common guns that you would have issues with if you just went out and bought a random one
1: i'd also say that um if it's a you're more likely to get one They're more likely to run if it's a 5-inch and it's forty five. You start getting other calibers, and you start going shorter, and then you add in. Now, Colt, I would think Colt, Dan Wesson, all those are going to run. Yes, you could get a lemon uh, from anybody, um, but again, if you spend $400, $500 on one, I don't know what the minimum price. I would say if you buy one for under $800, expect it to choke. And then, if you get one that's under a five inch, not, it's not government length and it's not 45, expect it to choke.
3: Okay. So, um, the original gun, the five inch gun, government model in 45, uh, actually, I'm going to disagree with what Jared said a little bit. Uh, the original gun was built to be 100% interchangeable parts, um, it was built to a mil spec uh, that would work with a 45 caliber ACP with a 45 caliber linked bullet. Um, it wasn't designed to be super accurate. It didn't need to be. The military didn't require it to be super accurate. It was, it was good enough, um, for what they needed it. And, and that's how the the gun was designed to that. Um, fast forward a hundred years, basically, well, we're 110 years. Um, and now we've we've taken that design and yeah we've chopped it shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, we've we've retrofitted who knows how many different calibers to it, um, and then we're asking the gun to shoot one inch groups at twenty five yards, one inch groups at at fifty yards, or whatever the the bullseye guys are, are claiming that they're getting out of it. Um, and then we're we're trying we're trying to get the gun we want it to fit as many rounds. As we want to fit twenty two rounds into a. 140 millimeter 141.25 millimeter uh magazine to run 40 cal which is a shorter bullet so like we're we've taken what what the gun was designed for and then we've asked it to do tremendous amounts more than what it was actually designed to do um i think it's a huge testament to the design that it can be made to work in all those configurations with most of those bullets you're starting in the bottleneck cartridges and i'm not I'm not real sold on trying to make a bottleneck cartridge, uh, feed like a 357 SIG. Um, but the gun, the design itself is a phenomenal design. It's incredibly versatile. Um, Jeff is right. There are a ton of guns out there that don't run. Uh, there's a ton of guns out there that are, are built improperly. Uh, don't blame that on the, I don't think you should blame that on the design of the gun that blame should go to the manufacturer. Uh, whoever built the gun in my, in my opinion, um, trying to make a night run with a nine millimeter, that, that cartridge is so short and so small and the magazines are so much longer for a longer cartridge. Like the fact that they can run with it to me is a little bit impressive. Uh, I'm surprised this 38 super is not more like the 38 super works fantastic in a 1911 like that. That cartridge works extremely well. Um, and I'm surprised more people don't. Well, I wish ammo was more readily available for it because that's a fantastic cartridge. But uh, I would say the design itself is is one of the best designs in gun history, uh, in my opinion. And if you have one that doesn't work, don't blame the don't blame the design of the gun.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah. I also
3: good. would not go shorter than a Commander Link slide. I would not. I would not be trying to make something work in like a three inch gun.
2: What do you think of the four inch guns?
3: That's the commander length. I mean, command a true commander is four and a quarter inches. Um, So I stick to the, I stick to that four and a quarter inch Springfield makes their, Oh gosh, what are they? I forget. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting what they call their, uh, their four inch length, but theirs is an actual true four inch. Um, And you just end up, you're compressing the, the recoil system. And you're like you're changing like the length of the rails uh, to make it shorter and make it feed that stuff. And the commanders can be made to work, um, but the the sh- the shorter guns are harder. It also changes the angle. The barrel's coming in steeper uh, than than what it does on a five inch gun, just because the, the the barrel tilts. So when you're tilting it from five inches away from the chamber versus three inches away, it changes the angle that it's tilting at. And so it just with a three inch, there's Everything has to be so perfect for it to work. There are guns out there that do work, and and I'm sure people if people listen to this, they'll write and say, "Oh, I've got a, I've got an officer's gun that works perfectly," and I'm sure you do. Uh, that's that's great. I just wouldn't trust one to work. Yeah, for the 300
1: rounds they've shot through it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Hey, um, why didn't the 38 Super? First of all, why is the 38 Super? Is it semi-rimmed or rimmed?
3: Uh, the original 38 Super is 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 semi-rimmed. The the Super Comp is not. So why
1: did they do the 38 super semi rimmed and not like in and, and, and not do it like the
3: 45 ACP? Um I don't I don't 100% know. Um I honestly like I probably should know my history a little bit better on that, but as far as the the invention of the 38 super round, I'm not 100% sure why it was. Uh, my guess it was it was a feeding issue with an extract getting the extractor to have have more rim to hold on to um, so that whenever it was ripping it out of there because uh, because that super. I mean, the, the 45 was a low pressure round. So it's that you're not really worried about the, the casing sticking in the chamber and like that. You took a 38 super and you, unless you run it at, at I mean, you can run it at darn near 357 specs, 327, 357, 357 yeah. max specs. Um, it's going to be a little bit harder to pull that casing out. And so my guess is that's, that's a hundred percent speculation. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to correct me, but uh, the the cool. comp seems to work fine nowadays. So if I'm get if I'm comp. building one, I I will try to get the customer to run a uh, run the comp. I just built one that was uh, a guy wanted it for a comp and and just standard 38 supers. So I just fit them four extractors, two for the two for the super comp and two for just the plain 38 super. Um, Everything else was fine. I just needed, he just needed to change out extractors for it. Cool.
1: So, if everybody goes out there and starts buying super comp brass, they'll make more of it and the price
3: will come down. Yeah. It'd be, that'd be awesome. It, that would be awesome. It's a fantastic cartridge. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised more people don't use it.
2: It's, it's kind of like, as far as cost is of it's kind of like 10 millimeter. Like, there's plenty of it out there, but it's more expensive than like bulk pack 40 or something. Yeah. What, what, from the, from selling them standpoint for CZ, what I've always found interesting is you get like pockets of the country where you sell a ton of 38 supers mm-hmm. and then you have other areas where you couldn't give it away if you tried. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's very, de- very dependent on where it's at. I've got a dealer that sells a ton of them and I've got dealers that would never even consider ordering one in. Hmm.
3: Yeah. For me. So like, like I'm building a, a carry gun right now. Um, it's a 2011 uh, Commander link slide. It's a nine millimeter and 38 Super. So two different barrels for it. Um, I will use the nine millimeter for training. Um, most of my carry, I'll probably just leave the nine millimeter in. Um, and then anytime I'm going fly fishing in the backcountry or something like that, that's that's really why I'm I fit a 38 Super barrel to it. Um, the 38 Super in a in an auto is pretty controllable um and again you're getting 1400 foot a second uh out of a out of a round like that's going to penetrate pretty well in most most animals you're going to run into and having 17 round mags uh you can poke a bunch of holes that's awesome
2: jeff needs Uh, to know how that would work on a tiger mm
1: -hmm.
3: yeah Yeah. he's asking for a friend (laughs) i mean like those tigers are pretty fast and they're pretty elusive (laughs) so like i wouldn't want to trust like a Like, I mean, uh, yeah, you think, okay, let's get a forty-four mag revolver, but then you got five shots, uh, and, like, those Tigers move around pretty quick. So I want as many BBs in my barrel as I can get to go after them. That's right.
0: Yeah, because what if you have 170 Tigers?
3: If you've got 170 Tigers, then you better bust out the open gun.
1: So Jeremy hasn't seen the the episode yet, but there's an episode. Well, I don't want to ruin it for Jeremy. It's not really ruining much, but – this is a podcast, Jason. You're going to ruin it for hundreds of people. I don't. For, for three people. <laughs> all
2: right. We're up we're, to we're four listeners. A friend yeah. of mine told me to download it.
1: Okay. So that's all the questions I had. We're getting close to an hour on the recording. So it's a good time to pinch it off unless any of you guys have any other questions. I, uh, I, I kind of
2: geeked out on this one because I really like talking about 1911s. So. I have one last question. Do you think John Moses Browning was a genius Or just a really good firearms designer?
3: Yes. (laughs) Which one? Both. I mean, I think he should go in history as as one of the greatest inventors of all time. Well, most people don't
1: realize all the stuff he invented other than the 1911. And I'm not talking about the grinding high power. I'm talking about the machine guns, the shotguns. The dude was... It was lever action it, it, guns, yeah. yeah, and not only that, when you take apart the 1911, you got to realize that I mean, that was around what 1905, 1908, mm. and you just look at how the trigger bow goes around the magazine, you just look at like the slide stop, they needed something for the slide stop, and then it's like, well, hey, we can also drop the slide with the same lever using both sides of it, and it's like it's pretty impressive, you know, one side's going to go through the barrel link, one side's going to drop the slide, just the magazine on, I mean. Uh, the follower locking the magazine or locking the slide lock up. I mean, that's pretty ingenious to think about. Like it's simple mechanic. It's like simple. I need this task. How can I build something that's going to, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's really neat, but he uh, was
3: incredibly prolific. Uh, And I mean, here we are 110 years later and nobody has yet to improve his design or come out with something better. And if you look at what other people were designing
1: at the same time, um what was it? Was wasn't the luger coming out around the same time? Yeah, so I, and you, you you look at that gun and then you look at the 1911 and you're like, yeah, that luger is not it's kind of dorky looking.
3: I mean they're cool as snot, but yeah, that you don't see anybody uh doing anything the with the Yeah, you don't see the Luger <laughs> being used too much. All right, cool.
1: Uh I guess that's it, unless you guys got anything. Okay. Hit us up on Facebook cool. and Instagram. What were you going to say, Jeremy? Oh, I just say cool. Yeah, cool. Uh, if you were bored by this, I don't know what to tell you. I thought this
3: was interesting. So,
0: If, if you didn't think it was interesting, tell your grandpa about it. He'll probably like it.
3: Exactly. All the our, are going to yeah. love this.
1: Help, <laughs> them it, so. yeah, help them download it. Help them download it because they won't know how to. But, <laughs>
2: so. All right. Thanks. Oh, stop recording, damn it.